Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. But we're finishing up. I might be wrong about today. So one more time, let's look at our key scripture from Romans 12. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And over the last several weeks, we've been on this journey looking at what is it that God says about some things and acknowledging the fact that over our lives and over the span of history, there are some things that we might have gotten wrong about. And we might have been heading in one direction or we might have added some things on top of, we might have turned it a little bit or we might have gotten the wrong angle. And every so often in life, you have to come to a point where you go, you know what, I might, I might be wrong about that. I might have taken on some new information that has caused me to see something in a new way. And so today we're finishing off the series and we're talking about, I might be wrong about pastors. Oh, Bless the Lord. Now don't log off if you are not a pastor. This is going to make sense for people who are not in pastoral roles. If you trust me and walk with me a little bit, I think God has something that he wants to say to us, but I think there might be some things that we have to admit that we are wrong about when we think about pastors. So Holy Spirit, help me today. Oh, I need you on this one, Jesus. I need you on all of them, God. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you anoint me for this moment, that you give us ears to hear what you are saying, that you give me words to communicate it clearly, and that, God, someone's life is changed forever because of what happens in this space today, Jesus. It's all about you and your mighty name. Amen. So it has finally hit summertime here in Northwest Ohio. If you are watching from somewhere else, then you might not be aware of what a treasure and a delight this is. As Phil told us earlier, we only get about 43 days of summertime, and so we really have to maximize it. If you are in the Midwest and the sun comes out, it's like shorts out, everybody's out, like it is get outside time, and we have been in that. And one of my favorite things about summertime, I love hanging out around a pool. I know, it's so good, right? Let me tell you why. I love hanging around a pool because it makes me feel so luxurious. Like, it doesn't matter what pool. Like, I will show up for a body of what, like it could be like the Y pool or a city pool or your backyard pool or a hotel. I am there and when I go, like I'm so bougie. I show up and I like, I act like I'm on a resort. Like I'll be like floating in the pool and I'm like, Phil, 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 I need you to bring me. Can you bring me my book? It's, I left it, right? Like I'm like, we are hanging out in the luxury. I think the Romans were onto something, you know, when they invented those like baths and they were like, this is the height of luxury. I'm like, yes, 
and I want to show up for the pool and you absolutely have to maximize it because the days that are actual pool weather days in this part of the country are not very long. So I am like all about it every day. If someone has a meeting that is going too long and is creeping into my sunshine peak hours, I'm like, you need to wrap it up because it is pool time right now. It is time to go hang out in the luxury of the sun and just chill and bask in the awe of what people who live in warm weather climates, like do you think they just hang out all the time in all of the luxury or do you think they probably start taking it for granted? I don't know, but I know for me and my house, we will be found next to a body of water, hanging out, acting like we are at a resort. But I learned, and you will now understand why I was devastated this last week. I have been learning something that is just a situation happening all across the Northwest Ohio territory. Let me tell you how it unfolded. They are filling in pools so that people can't use them. I know. And I'm like, guys, we need more pools, not less pools. We need more spaces to go hang out. This is how it happened. I was hanging out, talking to a friend, and we were just chatting, the kids are playing, and all of a sudden she says, oh yeah, I think we used to have a pool in our backyard. That's what my neighbor lady told me when we moved in. I said, what do you mean you used to have a pool? And she said, yeah, apparently the people before us filled in the pool. And I was like, they filled it in. This is a travesty in my life. I'm like, why on earth would someone fill in a pool? So I go home and I'm like furious. And I tell Phil, I said, do you know that people are out here just filling in pools? Like people don't need somewhere to hang out in all of the warmness and in all of the sunshine. He said, yeah, it's a thing that happens. People, I know some of you right now are like awkwardly silent because you're like, we filled in our pool last year. There is grace and forgiveness for you. The blood of Jesus will cover a multitude of sins. And he was like, yeah, it happens all across the city. Like people do it because, you know, in Ohio, you can't use it all the time. And da, 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 I don't know. I blacked out because I was like, this is happening. And none of the reasons that you're giving me justify the great tragedy of filling in something as majestic as a pool. And then I was out at my Go Local project. And while we're walking with the park lady who's telling us all the different things that they're doing, she's like, oh somebody told me a couple weeks ago that that big field over there used to be a pool and they filled it in. And I was like, is this happening? Do you all know how many pools are being filled in all across our city? And it is a, I think, in my estimation, one of the great injustices of our current city and what is happening that people do not have more places to go sit and bask in the warmth of the sunshine. We get such a finite window. We need all all of the summer fun that we can get. And because I like to sit and ponder, I started sitting and thinking, what happened between the time when someone dug out and installed this majestic piece of luxury known as an unground pool and enjoyed it for how many years to however long later when someone else came and decided to start heaping stuff on the inside of this pool until it was no longer actually usable for the thing that the person who installed it intended 
intended it to be used for. And then I started thinking, it's been a long time since pastors were first installed as a role inside the church. And I wonder what happened between the moment when those first pastors were installed and people started heaping things that were not intended to be in that place on top of the role of pastors that has got us here to sometimes it's almost unrecognizable from the role that it was originally intended for. What are some of these things you might ask? I also asked and I did a Google search. I did a Google search on what it does it mean to be a pastor? What is the role of a pastor? What are the job duties of a pastor? I don't know if you have ever Googled your job. It's a very fascinating thing to do. It is so fun. And sometimes like as you get into different roles of like on leadership levels, you know, like some of you will relate to this. You're like, am I even doing my job? Like I need, no one really tells me how to do my job anymore. And so I, I need to go to Google to find out are other people who are in my role doing what I'm doing in my role? I know some of you have done this because you've told me. So I went to Google and I was like, what is it that they're saying that are the roles of pastors? I have a whole list for you here. I think we've got a whole bunch of them. The first one is event oversight and then facilities, facilities coordination, so these are all things that showed up on the job responsibilities of a pastor. Sermon and worship services, crisis counseling and management, community outreach. I clumped that one together. That's things like caring for the poor, networking, praying for the sick, marrying and burying. Social media was a big responsibility of pastors for today that showed up. Hospital visitations and answering calls. Answering phone calls frequently showed up on the job responsibilities of a pastor and of what it means to be a pastor. And under that, some notes about um, being available 24-7 for anybody to call you and reach and that the pastors either felt or were told that they were responsible at all times. Now, this is not just gonna be a complaint session about pastors. That's not where I'm going, so just hang out with me, okay? But I started thinking, this is really interesting. You know that they're saying this is what it means to do, to be in full-time ministry. Ministry. These are the responsibilities that we think that it means to be. This is the role of a pastor. And I wonder what kind of list we would come up with today if we went around the room and said, when you think about the role of a pastor, what are the things that you think a pastor should be doing? What are the job assignments or what is the person that you think of that you imagine when you say that is what they should be doing? And so let's check out what Paul has to say. When Paul says, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about the role of a pastor. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is what he starts out, Ephesians 4 and 11. And Paul says, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, or your version might say the shepherd teachers. Now, I wanna stop here just for a second. He gave all of those roles, all of those roles right now in current church culture and society, generally speaking, we refer to as pastors, right? If someone is leading in that role, we'll, we'll call that person, oh, pastor so-and-so who does that. Now, that probably is a whole nother discussion about why we call all of these people the one title. But generally speaking, when you're referring to a person in church leadership, you are going to refer to them as pastors. 
right? Yeah. So for the sake of today's discussion, those are the pastors we're referring to. He said he gave them all to the church for, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. Wait, to, he gave them to equip the, the who? For the work of ministry. So he gave pastors as a gift to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now that's interesting because most of the things that I read said that it was their job to do the work of the ministry. But when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to them and part of what he's doing is he's saying, hey, we have this great good news and we have this Christ who has been buried and resurrected and he has come to save us and now he left us to establish this church and what do we do with it? He's writing to them to give them instruction on how this thing is supposed to work and on how this thing is supposed to look and when he writes to them to talk to them about what is it these roles that we've now given you and what is it this church that we're now gathering. He says, I've given you these leaders and their role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I wanna focus in right here on this phrase and we're gonna break it way down because I think it's something that we jump over far too often. I think it's something that we leap past and we say like, oh yeah, that's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But what is Paul actually saying to us? What is he actually getting at? When he says to equip, what does Paul mean when he says to equip these people? What does he mean when he says they are a gift for the purpose of equipping? When he talks about the word equip, the thing that Paul is getting to the heart of is this word that actually some of your translations might mean say to perfect or to fully equip. And the word picture on the inside of it is like to put something back in the right place for its original purpose, its original intent to realign it in the way that it always should have been aligned. It's where it was used in things like fixing a ship vessel. If a piece of the vessel came out of place and they needed to take part of it out and put part of it back in and put it back into alignment so that it was then again useful for the purpose that it was always intended. The word there is to equip that thing. Paul said, I'm giving you these gifts or rather Christ gave you these gifts to the body for the purpose of putting you back into alignment, for the purpose of exchanging the broken things and restoring the things that need to be whole and need to be mended and need to be re... It's the same word that they would use in like resetting a bone to put that bone back into place so that it can be useful and used again. Now here's the thing about putting a bone back into its place it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to have someone come alongside and say, this thing has gotten out of alignment and it needs to be put back into alignment. And there are some things that you need to understand about the way you're gonna use it now to make sure that it doesn't come back out of alignment. I think part of what we might have wrong about pastors is that it's their role to make sure that we are always comforted and always comfortable. But if pastors are going to be allowed to equip us 
us in the way that we need to be equipped in our life for the work of the ministry, if they're going to be allowed to realign us in our life and put some things inside of us back into position, it means we're going to have to allow ourselves to be discomforted once in a while by the voice that God has given to us as a gift that causes us to say, I didn't like the way that felt, but I have to acknowledge that perhaps something I am very concerned about the fact that inside of the body we seem to have come to a position where we no longer acknowledge the gift that God has given us and every time the gift that God has given us makes us uncomfortable as it tries to realign something inside of our life instead of saying I'm going to lean into the discomfort so that I may be properly equipped for the work of the ministry we just say that feels uncomfortable and we move away from it and we go and we find a different voice and a different sound in a place where we can feel a little bit more comfortable but the problem is we take our bum leg with us over here and when we first show up with our bum leg over my God, I did not intend to get here. But when I show up over here with my bum leg, because they just found out that I have a bum leg, they're like, I'm so sorry that your leg is bum. And I feel so bad to here, sit down in a chair. Won't you lean back and relax for a little while? And we like it over here because we feel comforted over here. But after we hang out under this voice for a little while, they're also a pastor and they're also a leader and it's part of their role to discomfort us. And so after we've hung out in the comfort for a while, they say, you know what? I really need to talk to you about putting that leg back in alignment. And so now this leader tries to put us back in alignment and say, it's part of my role to discomfort you just a little bit every so often so that you can be properly equipped. And they try to put us back in line. But because we haven't learned that being discomforted doesn't mean that we're out of place, but might mean that someone loves us enough and cares for us enough to put us back in alignment. We run again from the place of discomfort. Perhaps it is not the role of pastors to make sure that you are comfortable every single week. Perhaps it is the role of pastors in your life to equip you for the work of ministry and perhaps equipping is gonna require you to be discomforted once in a while. And when Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and I wonder if he imagined you and I down the line, he said, the role of this gift is to equip you and I want them to equip the saints. And who are the saints? The saints, this word, it's tricky to define. It's this word that means to be in awe of something, to be holy, to be set apart. It's this group of people that are utterly pure and utterly holy. But if you and I know that Paul is referring to us, it's ridiculous because we know that we are not worthy to be in awe of and we know that we are not utterly pure except that we have been accepted by the one who is utterly pure and is utterly holy, that he saw us and he redeemed us and he loved us and he called us his own. And he says, these saints that I have called, I want you to equip these people who have become a holy people, who have become a called out people, who are loved by me and treasured by me and who are an awe and a wonder because they live their lives in a transformed way that is counterintuitive and countercultural. This people, these saints, I give you the gift of these pastors to equip these saints for the work. Amen. 
for the work of the ministry. This word work in the way that it's used, it's, it's labor of both physical kind and social and ethical implications. It is a active working. One of the definitions even said it is a zeal of passion for something, that he is equipping us for an active moving in a direction to bring all of who we are to the labor that we do and to bring all of who we are to our society and to the moral and ethical bends that we see and align them with heaven that with all there is nothing passive about the work that we do there is nothing passive about the thing that God has called us to, about the thing that we are being equipped for. He says that I am calling and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And what is ministry? This word that we use, this word that we call people to, this word that we say that we're part of this ministry. I want you guys to repeat after me. Say, diako now. Y'all speak such good Greek. Look at you. The word that is used there, I want us to hone in on it, is diako now. Diako now is a word that means to serve. It's serve or server, one who comes to serve. But in Greek, they have like a gazillion words that mean to serve. It's such a rich language. I don't speak Greek. I just look it up when I want to talk about stuff like this. But I learned that they have all of these words for serve. It's not serve as in a slave. And it's not to serve as in one who willingly volunteers to serve. It's not serve as in the way an employee would serve, and it's not serve as in the way a public servant would serve society. No, this word serve in this context, this diacon now that we translate to serve or service or ministry, it actually means one who goes between. It's used in the context of serve as in a waiter, you know, because the waiter goes between the kitchen and the table. The waiter goes from where the good stuff is to where you are. And he said, I am equipping the saints for the work of being those who go between of being the servers who know how to go into the presence and bring out what people need, to be those who know how to go where everything that I have given them is and serve it up on a platter to a world that is in need. I have called you to a work of being those who go between, who usher in the presence of God and take it out to those who need it. He says, I'm calling you to be my waiters. I'm calling you to wait on a city. I'm calling you to wait on your family. I'm calling you to wait on those around you. I'm calling you to a work of ministry, a work of ministry of serving up in the way that a server would come to the table. And this made a lot of sense to me when I looked at it because I remembered that Jesus said, it's recorded in the book of Matthew, I think Matthew 10, he says, and anyone... And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his 
reward. He said, it's a ministry when you go to where the water is and you take it to my little ones. And he echoed the same thoughts in Matthew 25 when he was talking to his disciples and he said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. That sounds like a server who went where the food was and brought it where the hungry people were. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You went from where all of the good stuff was and you came and you brought it. God said, I am looking for a people who come and who know how to go into the kitchen of my spirit and find out what is it that people need. Do you need clothes today? I know where the clothes are. Let me get them to you. Do you need prayer today? I know where the prayer source is. Let me bring that to you today. Are you thirsty? Let me bring you a cup of cold water. Are you hungry? Let me provide a meal for you today. He said, this is the work of ministry that I have given you, these pastors, to equip you for doing. And this is where I'm afraid that we have gotten it tragically wrong because we think that the work of the ministry is the work of the pastor. And so we have pastors who spend their lives running to get water over here and running to find prayer over there and running for a meal over here and running to make sure the city is reached over here and running to spread the gospel over there and running to go do on this side and on that side and on this side and on that side. And Paul said, that's not actually the role. The role of the pastor is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. The role of the pastor is to make sure you know where the kitchen is. The role of the pastor is to make sure you know how to turn the tap on. The role of the pastor is to make sure you understand how to read your word. The role of the pastor is to make sure you know how to respond with compassion and love first when people voice to you their most inner pains and their darkest secrets and that you are a person. Not that they come to us every time there's crisis management. Now here's the thing. I do these things because I am first and foremost a saint. First and foremost, God called me into the body of believers. And as a person in the body of believers, I have been called to also participate in the work of the ministry. And then he called me to be in this house. I'm a member of Cornerstone Church. And as a member of Cornerstone Church, I want to give my whole self to the thing that he has called us to be in this day and in this time and in this hour. And then After I was called to be a saint and after I was called to be a member here, God called Phil and I to be the pastors and the leaders and it is our role not to come up with every answer, not to come up with every solution, not to be the person on every street corner, not to be the person at every table. It is our role to equip to make sure that you are able to go and to do the work of the ministry. That's why we do things like growth track where today you're gonna talk about, you know what, what is my spiritual gift? What is the way that God designed me and formed me so that you can be equipped to understand better your role inside the body? It's why we do things like life groups where people can gather up together and can sit together and do the transformational work that only happens in the small group context. It's why we organize things like outreach weeks and it's why we plan things like July third when we're going to do an online only service weekend so that instead of gathering here for that weekend we can gather out there because guess who's out there 
your family and your neighbors and your friends who need some servers and who need some waiters to come to them and say, hey, I've got a drink of cold water for you. Hey, I've been making some sandwiches. Hey, I heard that you were desperate and you were hurting and I wanna talk to you about my friend Jesus and this place is amazing and I love it here and I love what happens and there's a sound that can only happen when we're gathered up but when we spend all of our time in here, we're not available for the world who we are supposed to. Have you ever gone to a kitchen or to a restaurant and you've been like, I can see everybody in the kitchen and nobody has been to this table to ask me what I want to eat. And I really am hungry today. And I wish that somebody would come and take my, I wonder sometimes, like I wonder sometimes if our neighbors are kind of like you at that table and they're like, Lord, have mercy. I am desperate over here. Our marriage is on the brink and I can see over there that everybody is just hanging out in the kitchen all weekend long. They're just hanging out and guess when I'm home? I'm home all weekend long. And I wish somebody would just come tell me how it is that their marriage has made it for 25 years because we're on year six and I'm not sure we're gonna make it to year seven unless someone would come over to this table. And so we need to be equipped for ways that we can go outside of this space, for ways that we can better know how it is it that God has gifted me and God has suited me. And we get these questions all the time, you know, like, um, like people come to church pastors. I'm gonna talk, I'm, it's my turn today, because this is what other pastors say when they're talking with other pastors. They're like, people come to church all the time and they wanna know, what are you doing to build community in your church? And then they're like, and what are you doing to reach the prisons in your church? And what are you doing about the homeless situation in our church? I don't know why Valley Girls apparently are. What are we doing? It's because it's annoying. <laughs> and they want to ask, what are we doing about this? And what are we doing about that? And there are lots of things that we do. We are active and we are involved and we want to create spaces for it. But I'm afraid that we have made our churches like Swiss army knives. Is what I mean. So my grandpa, my grandpa Jack, who's been deceased for several years now, he always, he was one of those guys who always had a Swiss army knife in his pocket, you know? And like any time he would just like whip it out and be like, Tch -tch -tch. and I remember one time we were traveling on a plane several years ago and we go and we go through security and they're pulling it out and they're like, sir, what is this? And they're like, you can't take that on the plane. You know, it's knives and it's scissors and all of that, which is we should have plane safety. I'm, I support plane safety. But I remember being like 16 and looking at him and be like, you gotta ki you, you're kidding me, right? That thing is like this big. And I know it's got like a dozen tools in it, but like you're not doing any real damage with a, this little tiny Swiss army knife that my grandpa has in his pocket. I'm afraid that we have made our churches and our pastors like Swiss army knives because we want them to do everything and be everything to everybody. And so here we are walking around our city like, oh, you want community? We've got that. Oh, you wanna work out in, uh, in the gardens? We've got that. Oh, you wanna reach the homeless? We've got that. Oh, you're concerned about single moms? We've got that. Oh, you wanna reach the hungry? 
in our city? Shh, we've got that. Oh, you're concerned about adopted kids? Shh, we've got that. Oh, you know, your marriage is in crisis? Shh, we've got that. Oh, you've got trauma from your past? Shh, we've got that. Oh, you need prayer? Shh, we got that. You need to sing a song of praise? Shh, we got that. We got that. We got that. We got that. But none of it can actually do any damage. And none of it can actually cut to the core because we're trying to do everything and be everything to everyone all the time and show up. And don't forget, oh, social media content. Why aren't you posting more videos on social? Because I am so tired. Because I'm trying to be everything to everybody. And this isn't just me. I'm just talking about like I'm just for pastors everywhere. Because we need some people to be equipped to go out and to do the work of the ministry. Not like Swiss army knives, but like a ready sword that is ready to cut straight to the root of some issues. To cut stress. So I'm going to turn it back on you. What have you done to create community in our church today? When was the last time you invited someone to your house for dinner? When was the last time you called somebody and said, hey, let's hang out after church? Or what are you doing to reach out and text somebody? When was the last time you went into your prayer closet and said, God, who would you put on my heart today? And you called them and you said, I just wanted you to know that when I was praying today, the Lord put you in my heart today. When was the last time that when we didn't organize an outreach week, you just said, you know what? There are needs in my community and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna volunteer. Not because somebody organized it on my behalf, but because I care, because I have been equipped for the work of the ministry. We might be wrong about pastors if we think they're the ones who are supposed to be showing up everywhere. What we need is more pastors in their roles and in their spots saying, I have to equip people better. I have to train them up better. I have to teach them better. I have to make sure they're more prepared so that they can go out into the place, so that they can go out into the space. It is time that the saints stood up to do the active zealous, passionate work of being the go-between. The people who know how to go into the presence of God and come out with what our city needs. The people who know how to go back into the kitchen and come out with exactly what you need served up. If there are some people of God who say, I'm that person. Send me out for the work of ministry. Send me out for the thing he has called us to. Send me out into a city in need. Send me out into a city that is desperate and that is crying and that is hurting. It's not below me to wait on some tables. It's not below me to show up in a place. It's not below me to sit with you for a while, to sit by your hospital bed, to sit with you while you cry out, to sit with you while your baby's sick. It's not below me to teach you how I learned how I got here. It's not below me to pray over you in the spirit and say, let the spirit of God rise up in you. There are some saints that need to show up and say, we will be equipped for the work of the ministry for every good work that he has sent us to. For every good work that he has sent us to. Everyone who can is standing or is leaning in. This is the thing. This is the thing. This is why I think we don't do it. This is why I think we wait and we lean back and we say, I'm sure my, I'm sure my pastor is gonna show up at that hospital for that person. I'm sure somebody heard that their spouse died and, and I'm sure my church will make sure that a meal gets sent to them. I'm sure, I'm sure someone else is. I think ultimately it's not because we don't care. It's because we believe that we are unqualified. Somehow we've gotten it wrong about pastors that they are those who are qualified for the work of ministry while the rest of us aren't while the rest of us just have to sit back 
and wait, let me tell you a not so great kept secret. If we are waiting on me to do all of this, if we are waiting on me to save this city, to reach this city, we are in trouble. I can't even get all my kids dressed in the morning. True story, Phil doesn't even know this yet. The shorts that our middle son wore to church today are pajama shorts. They are not out of the house shorts. They are pajama shorts. Y'all don't want us to be responsible for all of it. Let us focus on equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what Paul said in the book of Colossians in another part. He said this, he said, In Colossians 1 verse 9, he said, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins that was not a letter that paul wrote just to pastors it was not a letter that he wrote just to leaders he said to the church i want them to know that when the father called you he qualified you when he called you he qualified you he knew that you were a little bit sideways and he knew you were a mess sometimes he knew you couldn't get all your kids dressed and he knew you would argue on the way here he knew all of that about you and he knew what you did in your past and he knew the thing that you struggle with that you're sure not still not sure if you're ready to surrender but he said just wait on that with the part that you're ready to surrender I have qualified you I have qualified you I have qualified you for the work of the ministry unhinge yourself from this thought that it's something down the line today you have been qualified in this moment you have been qualified you are ready you are activated go out into the city declaring the name of Jesus in word and in deed and everywhere that you possibly can go he has equipped you and he has qualified you for this great work And if you're standing right now and you're like, well, I never prayed that cute little prayer that I heard people pray before. So I don't know if I am qualified. Great news. We're going to pray it together right now. And you're about to get qualified and welcomed in. It's this easy. I want everyone who can to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for qualifying me. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for his death, and resurrection I accept him now in Jesus name amen it's just like that it's just like that 
If you've never prayed that prayer before, if you like, I've prayed that prayer a lot, but I've never like meant it before, and that was you, I'm gonna count to three, and I want you to raise your hand to, to let everyone around you know, I have been qualified. Not because of what I've done, not because of what I can do, not because of what I will do, because the Father saw me and he loved me and he sent his son and he qualified me. One, today is the day that you have been qualified. Two, today is the day that you have been sent out to do the work of ministry. Three, raise your hand if that was you today. I see you, sir. I see you, love, down here. Sir, in the back. Sir, up in the balcony. Right here, sir. Come on, today is a good day. Leave your hands raised high because you're proud, because you're grateful. Our team wants to come, sir. I see you in the back of the balcony. Come on. Some people have said yes to Jesus for the first time today. Some people have been qualified for the first time today. I see you back there, sir. Come on. Today is the day. And we celebrate with you. We celebrate and we're grateful. Oh. Can you come down just a little, Clee? He's so good on those drums, but it makes me want to yell the whole time. And I don't want to yell when you go out. I want to tell you that if you don't hear anything else today, I think one of the most dangerous lies that we have become to believe about pastors is that they are the ones who are qualified and we are not. And that's not the message of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is twofold. One, that they're actually kind of a mess as well. They're just broken humans, just like we are. God just happened to put them in an equipping role because of their skills, because of the talents and the gifting that he gave them. And two, that each and every one of us has been called and qualified, not because of anything we will do or can do or have done, but because God is good, because of his faithfulness, because he walks with us, because he loved us, because he saw us and because he called us us. So if you leave with anything today, just say out loud, I am qualified. I am qualified. I want to pray over you and send you out. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called this people, that you have qualified this people. God, help me as long as you see fit to equip this people, God, for the work of ministry. Teach us to do it better. Teach us to do it more effectively. And Holy Spirit, always, always, always let us do it in partnership with you. We wanna be where you are, Holy Spirit. And so I speak right now over this body that you are being sent out, qualified, equipped, and ready for the work of the ministry, for reaching this city, for reaching where you are, for reaching people, for declaring the goodness of Jesus, for showing up in practical ways. You are the ones who know how to go into the place of his presence and to bring out exactly. You go between on behalf of the world in need. 